This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. My name is Jamie Fugelson. I'm the Director of Congressional Relations at the Rand Corporation. It is my pleasure to welcome you today to our uh, briefing titled Equifax and the Data Breach Era. How worried should we be? Between the breaches at Equifax, the Office of Personnel Management, Target, and dozens of other companies and locations, the crucial identifying information belonging to millions of people, including social security numbers, home addresses, and more, have been compromised by attackers. So the question is, and what we're going to address today, um, and what you guys are all wrestling is, what can Congress, what can policymakers, and what can consumers and companies do to help uh, improve responses to data breaches and protect the data going forward? Um, so today, our speakers are going to talk about RAND research that examines victims' responses and attitudes toward data breaches and affected companies, the national security implications, scope, and aftermath of the OPM data breach, and considerations for Congress and policymakers in responding to consumer and government data breaches. I am very excited that today we have two excellent experts and researchers here with us uh, to talk about this issue. First, uh, immediately on my right, to talk about data, uh, data breach notifications and consumer responses is Lillian Ablon. Lily is a RAND information scientist and a DEF CON black badge winner. Her research focuses on topics spanning cybersecurity, emerging technologies, privacy and security in the digital age, computer network operations, digital exhaust, and the human element. Some of her recent work includes examining the longevity and collision rates of zero-day software vulnerabilities and their exploits, cyber risks to the supply chain, black markets for cybercrime tools, stolen data, as well as white, gray, and black markets for zero-day exploits, and privacy concerns with digital identity. Uh, before joining RAND, Lily worked with some of the most cutting-edge technologies in cryptography, network exploitation, and vulnerability analysis, and mathematics. Today, we're also joined by uh, Sina Bagley, who is an international defense policy researcher at RAND. I'm sorry, a senior inter international defense policy researcher at RAND. And she will be taking a deeper dive into the OPM data breach and its implications. I'm sure many of you here are interested in that in particular. Um, she focuses on national security policy issues, including counterterrorism, cyber, surveillance, and privacy. Before she joined RAND, she worked for more than a decade uh, for, in the federal government, where she served as, most recently, the Director of Intelligence and Information Security on the National Security Council. In that capacity, she coordinated the U.S. government review of intelligence capabilities and priorities in responses to widespread unauthorized disclosures, and provided recommendations to the President and National Security Advisor on foreign relations and intelligence posture and policy. She also served as the Chief, of, uh, Chief for Near East and Africa planning at the National Counterterrorism Center, where she directed the development of national-level counterterrorism plans, including cyber plans. Prior to that, she served in the Office of the Secretary of Defense, where she developed defense policy for special operations, counterterrorism, cyber operations, and defense activities. Um, so suffice it to say, uh, these guys have a lot of broad expertise on cyber in general, and particularly in the data breaches. So we should be so I'm looking forward to a very robust discussion following um, their presentation. Um, so with that, Lily, I will turn it over to you to start. 
Well, thank you so much all for coming, and thank you for your interest in this topic. Um, as you all likely know, uh, the personal and financial data of almost 146 million U.S. consumers and counting was compromised in Equifax data breach. Um, and it's the latest in what's becoming a long line of data breaches. Uh, just the first week this month, the, uh, in the first week of this month, uh, Congress held four hearings on data breaches, and I believe we're up to six different hearings on data breaches. Um, and October happens to be Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so perfect timing. So let's talk a little bit more about what we're terming the data breach era. Um, who here has been a victim of a data breach? Uh, Good turnout. Um, <laughs> we, we know that data breaches are a big problem for consumers, or for, for companies. Uh, they lead to costs in terms of data restoration, uh, forensic response, and managing consumer outrage. Um, but what about the consumers? What about us, the victims? What do we care about? Um, how big of a problem are data breaches to us? So today we're going to shed a little light on the topic of data breaches. First. I'll speak broadly on consumer responses to data breaches. Uh, then uh, Sina will deep dive into a data breach that you may have had particular experience with, OPM. Uh, and then we'll end with some perspectives on policy options. Data breaches have become commonplace in the United States. Um, by now, we're all familiar with the news stories. Um, from banking to retail to healthcare to the government, no sector is immune. Millions upon millions of pieces of personal, financial, and health data uh, have been stolen. Um, compiling all of these pieces together, uh, if you think of an actor who perhaps carries out multiple uh, aspects of these attacks, you can kind of get to s get a sense for why it matters that all of this data is stolen. If the same actor that went after Anthem got health insurance information, also went after J.P. Morgan Chase and got financial information, and then perhaps also OPM and got very personal, sensitive information. Uh, compiling all, all that together may come up with a comprehensive view of a particular victim that can be used for further data breaches, or for further compromise, spear phishing attacks, or other types of scams. So it's it's a big deal that all of this information gets is, is stolen. So we wanted to get a. Uh, consumers' perspectives and attitudes towards data breaches. Um, we did this through something called the American Life Panel, or the ALP. Uh, it's a survey instrument that RAND uses in order to survey the American population. And uh, it's a nationally representative survey, so we're able to extrapolate the results and get the sense for the, the, survey or the, the mood of the US population. Um, we, got this, we did this survey before the Equifax data breach. So the responses we got from US consumers don't encompass the, uh, the attitudes from Equifax. Perhaps attitudes may change afterwards. Um, the ALP is a, a great uh, vehicle for us to do longitudinal studies and, and reach out to consumers again. Um, so let me give a little background on data breach notifications. Um, most states are required um, to uh, most states have passed legislation requiring companies to um, uh, notify individuals when a breach occurs. Um, but these uh, laws are not uniform and there's no federal law. They really vary state to state. Um, in general, these laws are intended to have two effects. 
first to empower consumers to take quick action um, to reduce risk and any potential harm caused by the breach. And second, to incentivize companies to um, improve their data security, take on more risk of harm of the breach and uh, be able to notify consumers um, more quickly. When we looked at the literature and the research on data breach notifications, uh, we found that many studies have exam examined company behavior, uh, company behavior, uh, responses, and company costs resulting from data breaches. But there was little information about the consumers. So that's where we wanted to focus. Um, in response to data breaches, um, the breach company will often reach out to affected consumers to let them know. Um, so we took a deeper dive into this practice of sending out data breach notifications to consumers to see if they're helping. We asked our survey participants several questions related to the last data breach notification that they had received. One of the first things we wanted to know was the type of data affected in the breach. Um, note that respondents could have selected more than one type of data taken. Um, uh, many of you may see the same uh, type of information taken in the data breaches, the notifications that you have received. What you want to find concerning about this, or what I find concerning about this, is that at least 21% of the U.S. population of the, the consumers that we surveyed had information taken that was not changeable, that was permanent. So health information, social security numbers. This isn't a credit card number that you can just call up your credit card company and ask for a new number. Um, uh, that's quite concerning that this type of data is taken. So next we wanted to learn how people first learned about the breach. Um, again, with the focus on the most recent notification, we asked whether respondents were aware of the, aware of the breach before they received the notification. 56% said that they first learned about the breach from the notification, but 44% learned about the breach uh, from uh, some other means before they, they received the notification from the company. Most often it was from um, uh, uh, media reports, um, a third party like their bank, and some people said that they just identified suspicious activity on their own, and so they uh, noticed, um, so they identified the, the breach before they received the notification. And, and there's good reason that people might have heard about the breach before they received the notification. Um, as I mentioned, the data breach disclosure laws vary widely state by state and by type of data taken. So not all companies are required to disclose that a breach has occurred. For example, uh, for healthcare data, if less than 500 records have been stolen, they're not required to send out a breach notification. Uh, states have a, a, a different disclosure um, uh, notification requirements as well. So for example, in some states, if the data was encrypted when it was stolen, they're not required to send out notifications either. Um, companies are not always the first to discover that a breach has occurred. Um, the Verizon data breach found that 70 to 80 percent of victims first learned about the breach through uh, incident response rather than um, from, uh, from, from their own means. And of course the media plays a large role in how consumers find out about data breach notification or find out about data breaches. When it came to how the breached company responded, we found that the, we found that consumers are fairly forgiving and forgetful. Um, the vast majority of consumers, 77%, responded that they were highly satisfied with how the company responded. And um, 
you know, whether or not this holds true after Equifax or other data breaches that uh, Sina will share about remains to be seen. But this generally is a, is a good thing for companies. Looking at this in a more detailed way, um, we found that uh, consumers remain fairly loyal to the breached company. 11% of consumers said that they stopped doing business with the company. So 89% said that they continued to do business with the company even after they had received the breach notification. Now, this is a low attrition rate, but this might not mean that only 11% wanted to stop doing business with the company. That 89, more of that 89% may have wanted to stop uh, doing business with the company, but they may not have been able to. Um, they, it may have been uh, costly to switch companies or to switch health insurance companies, for example, um, or uh, to stop doing business with either the company or the government. Uh, Sina will speak more to this in a little bit. We wanted to understand the steps that respondents took to prevent any potential effects from the data breach. So we presented some different options and asked them what they did. You can see that the majority said that they changed their PIN or password. Again, you may have taken some of these actions yourself uh, when you received a data breach notification. Other people closed or, or switched accounts. Uh, another response, uh, when free credit monitoring was offered, we were told by the respondents that 62% said that they accepted those offers. Um, those who reported having declined offered various reasons, like, well, they already had it from another data breach that they had been part of. Um, they didn't trust the company or the data breach uh, or the, uh, the credit monitoring company. Some said that they already monitored their own accounts, and some said that it was just too much hassle or they were lazy. Uh, we had write-in responses. Um, someone said that they just procrastinated and didn't want to do it. Some consumers took additional initiatives uh, even more. So things like paying with cash more often, running extra checks on their computers and systems, for example, running antivirus uh, scans, um, and having greater awareness uh, all around, like monitoring their card activity. Now, some people didn't take any action. We heard 22% of people didn't take any action. Um, and they provided explanations like, well, because it was my employer's site that got hacked, or nothing was financially important, uh, because medical information was hacked, and I cannot change my health insurance company. These reasons are compelling. It's not as though these people wanted, uh, didn't want to take an additional action. Uh, the responses showed that they simply couldn't take an additional action. So are data breach notifications serving their purpose? Well, we found that it's a mixed bag. First, do they allow people to take quick action to reduce risk? Well, on the one hand, no. 44% of our respondents said that they already knew about the breach by the time they received the notification. But on the other hand, 78% said that they took some additional action. Uh, this might be things like changing their pins or passwords or accepting free offers of credit monitoring or identity theft protection. Now, do they create incentives for companies to improve their own data security? Again, mixed bag. On the one hand, um, you know, consumers are forgiving and forgetful. Uh, the majority, 77%, were satisfied with the company's response to a breach. Combining this with the low attrition rate um, suggests that uh, consumers are pretty loyal to the company and, and will stay where they are. But data breaches uh, appear to be on the rise, and it's not as though uh, 
consumers were able to always uh, change companies or leave if they wanted to. The Equifax data breach is among a small number of very large-scale data breaches involving a comprehensive set of highly valuable data. And it might change the trends we've seen in consumer response. Um, but another case goes beyond Equifax's breach in terms of the value of data stolen. And the risk is not just to the victims. As we look to the government as a potential avenue to enforce behavior change among companies and to protect consumers, uh, what happens when the organi organization that gets hacked is a government entity? Sina? Well, unlike the responses for many of the breaches that Lily's study covered, for the 2014 uh, Office of Personnel Management data breach, there was no opt-out option to OPM essentially holding the data for more than 20 million applicants for a sensitive government position. If you wanted a position in government where you'd have access to sensitive information, you had to provide a certain level of detail of information to the government in hopes of getting uh, suitability or security clearance. The breach of this data was so significant. In September 2016, a report from the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform said that the massive data breach of security clearance records will likely damage um, the uh, security, jeopardize U.S. national security for more than a generation. So what repercussions lurk in America's future as a result of the OPM breach? What is the adversary likely to do with these clearance records for more than 20 million Americans? And importantly, what can victims do about it to try and protect themselves? Let's first talk about who was affected. The number of records affected was truly staggering, including millions of current and prospective federal employees and also contractors. And anyone else who applied for a suitability or security clearance through OPM since the year 2000. The breach happened in 2014, wasn't detected till 2015 about 15 years of, um, of records. That totals 19.7 million background investigation applicants and 1.8 million non-applicants whose social security numbers were compromised because of their relationship with some of the applicants. These are spouses or cohabitants whose social security numbers were essentially included in the breach data. To put these numbers in perspective, the groups affected represent 7% of the US population. But what also makes this breach, unfortunately, a little bit unique is it didn't just contain one or a few types of data, as I'm sure most of you in this room know all too well. It involved a vast amount of personally identifiable information, social security numbers, passport numbers, birth dates, birthplaces, multiple modes of contact information, and details about the victim's residential, employment, travel, educational, criminal, financial, addiction, mental health histories, and um, uh, foreign contacts. So, and of course, information on spouses and cohabitants and other family members as well. OPM also, as you may know, suspects that about 5.6 million fingerprints were compromised and has also announced that background investigator notes were compromised in the breach itself. In short, the hackers who broke into the OPM security clearance database and suitability clearance likely have in their possession highly detailed, comprehensive personal information about the majority of Americans who are serving as the custodians of America's national security secrets right now. According to the OPM website, 
OPM conducts, as you can see here, more than 90% of the U.S. government's background investigations for more than 100 federal agencies. So, who did this, and what can they do with all of this information? While the U.S. government has stopped short of officially attributing the attack to a specific country or actor, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper said in June 2015 that you have to kind of salute the Chinese for pulling off this breach from an intelligent professional's perspective is the implication. And in answer to a subsequent question, he confirmed that China was likely the leading suspect. As far as what concerning actions the adversary can do with this information, though it is true that there is considerable personal information out there online about many of us, some our own doing, putting information out on social media and other places, um, there, in, so in the public sphere, there's a lot of information about ourselves, other contractors, government employees. What's unique here is the level of detail, veracity, and the potential to aggregate this data with all other available data available online to be able to increase the potential for harm against the victim. It makes it that much greater. In addition, this information can also be used by an adversary to essentially leverage big data capabilities. You can incubate new innovative strategies um, for using big data. And an adversary can do this against another country as these big data technologies continue to improve to do things like pattern analysis through the information that they were able to, um, to glean from the OPM data breach. And again, this makes the potential risks from the stolen data not less significant over time, but potentially greater over time. In particular, because this is, for many of us, permanent, unchangeable information that was in the breach itself about yourself. So, what uses of the data are most likely, given the potential actor, and should be of most concern to the United States government? A state actor responsible for the breach would seek to leverage the information to meet its own priorities and objectives. Assuming they maintain control of the information themselves, they would use it for their own priorities and objectives, not unlike what the United States would likely be doing with the same information were it to acquire it about an adversary. So in this case, the adversary would likely try to further its domestic control, enhance its foreign intelligence capabilities, um, and information acquisition, and to improve its position in the global military and economic order. The information in the data set would also provide the state actor with the opportunity to help alter its position vis-a-vis -vis the United States, because the data can potentially enhance any of that nation's efforts to collect further intelligence and close knowledge gaps more than it is already trying to do. And it would provide opportunities for forging alliances, potentially bolstering regional strategic advantages using the information derived in the, in the breach itself, and could be used to map out routes for potential influence within the United States itself through that information. So what can victims do? The success of the hack and the ease with which it seemingly occurred likely reinforced the perpetrator's faith that in such a model of intelligence acquisition, and the faith of other potential perpetrators as well. So what does that mean for the threat in the future? And what can victims of the breach do about it? Well, first, a victim has to know that they were a victim of the breach. 
Last year, OPM announced that 10% of the victims of the OPM data breach, this is about 2 million people, had never been notified officially of the breach via letter. This is because of wrong addresses, incorrect information, not being able to reconcile, so, or other factors. So if you're someone in the room who thinks your information may have been compromised and you haven't been notified by OPM, do not assume that that does not mean your information isn't in the breach. We'll talk a little bit more about how you can uh, make certain if, if you happen to be one of those, um, one of those cases. So if a person hasn't been notified, thinks they were a victim of the breach, they can contact OPM via its website to verify. And we'll include that in the last slide where you can see where you can do this. OPM breach victims are also still being offered credit and identity theft monitoring. Uh, and it's been extended from a period of three years to a period of 10 years due to congressional requirement uh, in response to the breach. So compelling the government to extend its coverage. Uh, for protection. Additionally, victims can request their background investigation records. You may not have known this, but you can request your background investigation records from the Office of Personnel Management through the Freedom of Information Act process. This will essentially provide you with an idea of the extent and detail of information that was compromised. I have done so. I have received my background investigation records including background investigator notes and detailed information about credit history and other factors, some things I didn't even realize were included in the breach. Um, I now have a little packet that tells me roughly what the adversary uh, has been able to glean from that information. So as far as actions to protect themselves, with regard to email in particular, if in doubt that an email is legitimately from a trusted person, victims should separately contact that, that person and ask to be sure. Victims should ensure that family members whose identities may have been included in the information they provided to OPM are aware that they too should be vigilant against suspicious behavior. Essentially, victims lowering their digital guard now, even three years after that breach occurred, could still be dangerous because this adversary still likely knows them well um, and could act against them given the detailed information that they have and that some of that information just will never change. The same point is relevant today to some degree for victims of the Equifax breach. Similar to the, the applicants in the OPM breach, consumers didn't have a choice regarding whether Equifax held their data because of the way the US credit system works. And like the OPM breach, Equifax reports that the information compromised in the breach includes unchangeable identity information, such as social security numbers and birth dates. Given the nature of the credit bureau information and the magnitude of the breach, it may be that victims actually care more now, going back to Lily's study, about this breach and more, and more of them may in fact take action to secure themselves from harm. Notification problems were another common thread between the two breaches. Uh, it took six weeks for Equifax to notify consumers. As I mentioned earlier, potentially one in 10 victims of the OPM breach still have not been notified. A colleague of ours just let us know uh, that, yes, two days ago, he received an official letter from Equifax telling him uh, via mail uh, that his information was compromised. Interestingly and anecdotally, he also told us he had checked the website to see if his information had been compromised and his wasn't included in the website and yet he received this letter. So uh, do, do just be aware of that, um, whether you take any of those um, looks yourselves. Finally, for victims to take necessary protective actions requires that consumers care about the breach itself 
and sometimes take actions to verify their information is breached, as we've described here. And then look into what options are available to them to protect themselves. This month's congressional hearings on Equifax and other data breaches have covered several issues, including potential measures for how to improve response in the wake of a breach. One policy measure would uh, require the extension of um, data, I'm sorry, require the extension of identity theft, credit monitoring services for victims, um, extending it to 10 years uh, for people that have information like this, personal unchangeable information that has been included in the breach. This is keeping the requirement for private companies essentially the same as what Congress mandated for the government in the wake of the OPM data breach. From a consumer protection perspective, this seems to make a good amount of sense given the permanent unchangeable information. I guess the question is, can a few or even 10 years of credit monitoring insulate consumers from what could be a lifetime of risk that their data will be misused and continue to be compromised? What else can be done to improve response? Lily's research uncovered a few more ideas in that vein. So one of the things that we did in our survey was to ask the respondents what steps a company could take or what would they want a company to take or a company to do in response to a breach. So I'll pause right here and uh, of these six up here, which would you prefer? Are there any that really speak to you? What would you want from a company? The first one, taking measures to prevent a data breach. Third one, notify customers immediately. Compensation, interesting. Well, um, these happen to be in the order that, uh, of, of highest to lowest of what consumers in our, uh, in our survey told us. Um, it's interesting about notifying how you notify customers whether, wh when to do it um, too early and the uh, attacker might still be in the network, might still be in the system and could compromise any kind of further investigation too late and uh, then victims are compromised and they don't get their data in time, or they don't get their, um, uh, their data could be stolen and yeah, be further compromised. Um, above all, uh, these responses or any kind of the responses that Sina mentioned, we all, from legislators to consumers to companies, need to be prepared for future hacks. In the cybersecurity triad of prevent, detect, and respond, all three are important, um, but especially the last, response. Um, policymakers may want to consider extra focus on recognizing that a compromise or an attempt of compromise is inevitable. And rather than preventing or trying to detect uh, the, the attempt, um, aim to limit the impact of that breach, knowing that that breach is going to occur. Um, one measure mentioned during the course of this month's congressional hearings would require notification following a breach of a security system containing personal information. So not just that information was stolen, but that that system actually had been breached. Another would amend the Fair Credit Reporting Act to provide access to free credit freezes uh, for all consumers. Either of those measures would be a good start at providing at least some additional protections and remediation options to consumers. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.